Podcast. Hold on to your butts. We are changing the course of history as we see it. That is what Westcott demands. Now this affects Iris. Um, Iris, where are you? What you feel only matters to you. I do not entertain hypotheticals. The world as it is is vexing enough. Iris, I have a tip for you. Don't take drugs! Or whatever movies with Wesley and Iris. What up and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I'm your co-host, Iris. And I'm here with my older brother. Mac. You mean Wes Dupee? I don't even want to talk about it. It's crap. It's all crap. Are you being irascible? Yeah. Is no, that that's the that's the the Michael Jackson hitchhiker that he picked up with Tony Basil. I have no idea what you're talking about. Bobby and and Ray were driving and they saw that car kind of crashed on the side of the road. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's like half up the hillside. Yeah. Yeah. What about it? And they picked up the hitchhikers, Michael Jackson and Tony Basil. Uh, I remember the hitchhikers. I don't remember those being their names. Oh, Tony Basil as Terry Grouse. Right. And Michael Jackson. Yeah. Totally looked like Michael Jackson. (laughs) She was saying everything is crap. Everything is crap. Crap. She was like she was the Holden Caulfield in a movie about multiple Holden Caulfields. I'm having trouble tracking this conversation. Exactly. Five easy pieces. Five easy pieces from 1970. Supposedly the film that kicked off the new Hollywood or the Hollywood new wave. The death knell of the 60s. No love, nowhere to go, nothing to do. Why are we talking five easy pieces? You were like, I just watched five easy pieces. And I was like, is it worth talking about? Should we talk about it? And so I convinced Kelly Ray to watch it. And here we are talking about five easy pieces. Where did you find it? Uh, I had to rent it. (gasps) You did? You paid? Didn't you see that Daily Mail link or whatever I sent you? Yeah, thank you. I don't watch YouTube streaming movies in two places. So is Jack Nicholson just so creepy that they just take him off the streaming (laughs) services for October and Halloween? Jack Nicholson being all Jack on film, I think that's in his contract. He's got to have at least three Jack Nicholson moments. What were the three in Five Easy Pieces? He has the Nicolas Cage freak out in the car, the meltdown. Oh, right. Yes. Before he asks Rayette to come with him to Washington. Right. And then he has the yelling in the highway, barking at the dog. The dog that was in the back of the truck with the piano. Yep. And I'm sure there was another one. I'm just saying, like, he's like, okay, I'm going to be in this, but I got to be Jack, you know? There's always, like, the creepy smile that is somehow not mirroring the emotion of the other person. If there's a disturbing undercurrent to Five Easy Pieces, it undoubtedly comes from Jack Nicholson's The Shining. And boy, if he is mirroring the creepy smile of someone else, it's your girl. Who, Karen Black? Karen Black. This is the only other movie I've seen with Karen Black. What's the main movie? Your favorite, Trilogy of Terror. Oh, with the Tahitian fetish doll? That's racist. <laughs> she was Amelia. Where's the fetish doll from? Yeah, take one, Zuni, take, she's African. Take one look at her face and you'll be like, oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> you talked about how dad tortured you with American Werewolf in London. Yep. Well, you tortured me with Amelia. I tortured you with no such thing. I didn't even torture you. You did. All I know is... You totally did. You would make that noise. (laughs) And like, come after me. Do you find Rayette DePesto to be unsettling? 
No, but I knew it was Karen Black. I was like, oh my God, Karen Black. I've only ever seen her before in one thing. So she was distractingly weird looking to me the entire movie. Her makeup is strange and kind of mesmerizing in this movie. I don't know. I'm not really sure why her under eye eyeliner kind of strays from the the <laughs> lid line. But anyway, she has an amazing voice and she got a lot of praise for this role. Yeah, Oscar nominated role along with Jack Nicholson. New York critics winner all that for that this year five easy pieces was the most nominated movie that didn't win anything kind of like bobby who doesn't win anything in life or whatever but that's kind of not true so from the start not knowing anything about this movie i was like what are the five easy pieces and we're like in the middle of <laughs> mysteries and stuff right now so by the time he bones piano lady I was like, he's got, we, we, we had been watching this movie for six hours at that point. I was like, he's got to, he has two more conquests. Because if, if, the, if the five easy pieces are women, then he's got two more to go and we're in for a long haul. So at what point did you figure out what the five easy pieces were? Uh, afterwards, when I was doing my research, and it is the title of a peony book about five easy pieces that you can play for beginners. And by peony, you're referring to the piano, as they call it in, what was it, The Way of the Dog? Uh, the Way of the Gun? Or nope. no, you're talking about, oh yeah, yeah, the uh, the shadow of the dog, the, the curious incident of the dog in the nighttime. <laughs> no. The power of Come the dog. Come on. Power of the dog? Yeah. Was that what it was? Uh-huh. Yes, yes, yes. Power of the Dog, where he calls it the piano. Yep. So I haven't heard about the book, but supposedly the five piano pieces that are featured over the course of the movie, I wouldn't say that they're easy, but they're Chopin, Bach, Mozart, another Chopin, and another Mozart. And those are either played by his family or him. He he notably plays the Chopin piece on the back of the truck, and then he plays the other Chopin piece that he learned when he was eight. For Catherine. That was Chopin, the piano on the back of the truck, where he it was all clinkety clank. See, I say <laughs> yeah, piano because that's what Elton would say, or Elton, the dude. Elton. They're all bumpkins and 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 drinking and a bowling, and then he pulls the straw out of his nose. How did he do that? I don't know. I think he did it. He smashes it all up. He like scrunches it down when he pulls it off the straw, puts the whole thing up his nose in a little pellet, and then pulls it out in a string. The paper. You mean the paper straw cover? Yeah. Uh huh. But it was distressing, and they were roughnecks. And you're like, okay, here's what we're latching onto. It's this is Bobby's world, and he's got Bobby's girl and Bobby's bowling, and he's hanging out with Elton and the other other lady or whatever. And then nope, Elton's gone, and uh, he punches the cop in the face and gets off with it gets away with it he's like let him go and he's like all right he clocked me in the beak but all right i'll let him go and we'll just take elton away and elton disappears for the rest of the movie well yeah because he's wanted for some other crime he committed a long time ago while still on parole what's the crime what's bobby's motivation what's bobby's purpose in going to dad's house what are we doing? Oh, come on. Oh, really? This is That's how you took this movie? Nothing. I, was, I, I thought nothing. you would... Really? No, I thought you'd be all wrapped up in the in the identity crisis, coming-of-ageness of Five Easy Pieces. Rayette says, you're the pathetic one, not me. And I was like, why? Don't know. Oh, he's so, he's so mean, disdainful, oh, yeah. scornful of Rayette from the moment you see them, the two of them together. And she's all curled up on the sink for some reason. Oh, for sure. When I, so the second you get a, the, a sense of their dynamic and his contempt for her, you're like, okay, well, this is not who we're rooting for. She's too sad and meek and helpless to be the heroine, I guess. And I don't know that Bobby is the one that we want to identify with or sympathize with. He's kind of terrible. 
he is kind of terrible. I underestimated his terribleness because he's all of a sudden naked with the the girls and they're like bouncing around in their underwear and stuff. And I was like, where's Rayette for this like weird drunken sex party? And then I was like, oh, those are the bowling alley girls. Like he was such a turd that I, I, I couldn't even keep up with his turn into tur- turdiness. <laughs> You you were in such disbelief at how just awful he was that yeah. you couldn't believe that he'd have a tryst with Elton and the bowling girls. Yep. Um, what was the purpose of the story? <laughs> That's exactly that what I'm the saying. The bowling girl tells. <laughs> I was like, okay, why are we going to dad's house or whatever? And he made that trip to go see his sister, Miss Dupee, right? Instantaneously. Yep. He was there. Partita? I don't know. I, I guess she was in L.A. So I tracked the signs and it said when they were going to um, Washington. No, no, well, the the signs, the direction, uh, I think it was Highway 43 and where that was going. I was like, he's in California in the oil fields because I thought this was deep, deep Texas. But maybe I'm wrong because once it transitioned away from the Roughnecks and the Bolin and Drankin and Elton was nothing but Gene from Raising Arizona to me. He's like, <laughs> It was just, it was, and then it became not that. And then I guess they were going through California. They picked up Michael Jackson and Tony Basil, and they said they were going to Alaska because Bobby and Rayette were headed to what looked like Seattle. Then it became like a really long road trip. Yeah, because he doesn't, he didn't anticipate the news that Partita would deliver that their father had had multiple strokes and was unwell. And Tita was inc- was encouraging him to make good with Pops, with whom he had a falling out. So when you ask why, are you asking because you don't understand the motivation of the character, or do you, are you asking because you don't understand why it's important or why it's um, story worthy? As evidenced by Tita's terribly insufferable philosophic friend, the one who was talking about poetry. Oh my goodness. It seems obvious to me that that family has at least the heirs or that they've decided to be intellectuals or an artistic family. They all play musical instruments and stuff and they all have like philosophers over who need the attention on them. But it seems like Bobby is, he he foregoes all that in favor of drinking and bowling and the blue collar kind of lifestyle. So I, I feel like I had a sense of who Bobby was, why he was putting himself through what he was putting himself through. I wasn't really sure. I guess in a way it was the opposite of the road trip movies that we've seen around this time of year. Previously, we talked for Thanksgiving about Dutch and about planes, trains, and automobiles. And you're, it's a road trip movie where terrible things happen, but you're trying to get back to family. And in the true, like, death of the 60s, 1970s sense, he's trying to get back to family, which is a terrible, horrible family situation. It does seem like our Thanksgiving movies are not at all about Thanksgiving. It's about all the horrible things (laughs) that surround Thanksgiving. And so if this were a Thanksgiving movie, it would fit in perfectly for our Thanksgiving theme, much like American Werewolf in London did for Halloween, because in the middle of a progressive early 70s drama or whatever, like a character piece, you have the the worst sex scene in decades with the bowling alley girl when they're spinning around and she's yelling and stuff and they're crashing into stuff. Oh, man. Yeah. All in in medium close up or extreme close up. So awkward. I'm I'm just saying, like I'm no expert or whatever. I'm not sure intercourse is possible in that situation. I'm gonna swoop in to defend five easy pieces because okay. I got this movie. And to answer the question I posed to you, I think that you understand the plot. It's pretty simple. Yep. 
this piano prodigy who we don't know is a piano prodigy is living a blue collar lifestyle gets word that his dad is ill decides to make the trip up to see the family which is where we learn about his past that he is trying to escape the only inexplicable part about this movie for me was the love story between him and Catherine, which we can get to but eventually he doesn't find the resolution that he's that he's looking for with his family and he continues to live in his kind of rootless existence you find that rootless existence appealing do you he does no caviar for me thanks <laughs> he, but he's not making it count he's running away from an identity that he can't seem to find for himself and i categorize five easy pieces in the betrayal film genre these films break my heart Every time, I don't know why, but I return constantly to my own private Idaho. I really don't know what that says about me, but it's heartbreaking. And this is one of those betrayal films where you think that you know somebody, Karen Black, as Rayette specifically, thinks that she's in love with Bobby. And he is no more Bobby with her than he is with his family. He simply doesn't belong or he simply is play acting in whatever given role he's kind of thrust into given the circumstances. Oh, I'm definitely not going to refute that. I completely and wholeheartedly agree. The problem is he is just immersed in this world that he can't escape because he doesn't belong in the world. So everything he does is just punishing himself. Every situation in which he finds himself, there's no sense of redemption, which I guess speaks to this hopelessness. But point A to B, from wherever he starts out with Rayette to his parents' house or his dad's house, the mom is gone. There's no arc in there. There's nothing. That, it's all all hopelessness and he surrounds himself with punishment continually until he just flings it all away he like he insists on engaging with the waitress ad nauseum just stop the situation but no he has to do insist on the freaking toast and there and so this is the most famous scene in the movie the one where he tells her to yeah hold the chicken but hold it between your knees or whatever and i don't even know what that means and i'm not sure that they know what that means but he will persist forever until she tells him to leave and he gets all reactionary and swipes everything off the table. Michael Jackson and Tony Basil were in the car for 15 minutes too long in this movie. It's like, kick them out. And when he unceremoniously in a wide shot kicks them the hell out on the side of the road, I was like, thank goodness. He, he lets the philosopher lady go on interminably. And I was like, please kill her and then he, he takes forever until he blows up on her and says the most real actually it wasn't the most real line but it was my the most enjoyable part for this movie for me is when he told her off and said i think these cold objective discussions are aggressive like that was the best part for me because i had been dealing with that for five and a half hours at this point we were all it, it felt sad and hopeless and I didn't know where it was going and I couldn't cling to anything because I just felt bad the whole time. So you felt like he was speaking for you, but not about the conversation in hand, but right. rather the whole movie? And sure, like I agree with him. I found the hitchhikers annoying. The best part was him telling the philosopher lady that she's full of ass. And still we had to watch that. I had to watch that for 20 minutes apiece. I thought that you were going to say that the best part for you was when he actually came to Rayette's defense. Because when it comes to the high horse, philosophical, supposedly erudite, you know, annoying house guest and the uncouth girlfriend, you know, why don't you take that sign off your tit and let's go have some fun? Um, 
you know, he's going to choose Rayette because even though she's uncouth, at least she's real. Uh, true enough, which I guess she was fortunate. She probably hung on to the steering wheel so he didn't kick her out on the side of the road along with the uh, hitchhikers. But at least in the divorce, she got the car in the end, right? The reason I said that that wasn't my favorite part of the movie when he told off the philosopher irritating lady is because we had the scene with the dad where I finally understood why Jack Nicholson would have, even though I dislike his character immensely, why he was well regarded for this role, why it got an Oscar nomination. Because amidst all the Jack Nicholsoning and all the bobbying, that was a very real, heartfelt scene that, for all intents and purposes, nobody witnessed. I don't think the dad was present. Nobody else saw him have that moment of emotional, emotional vulnerability. But I didn't know that that was coming, and I was so annoyed by that point that I thought the only way that this movie can redeem himself is if he goes and pushes his dad into the sound right now. Wheels Ooh. him down the hill and just oh just pushes Dark. him into the drink. Then I would have been like, okay, now this movie is getting somewhere. It didn't go that direction, but it was better when he had the, the uh, his little monologue. That moment with the dad was what sealed this as a tragedy for me because that highly emotional scene was just devoid of catharsis and it yes. might have been more cathar cathartic right if he had pushed him off the cliff although that's very dark but it was um a hundred percent in tragedy territory instead of the um instead of the bottom of the second low point this has a bottom of the second high point where he thinks that he's in love with Catherine and he asks her to basically to run away with him. And like a true kind of, I guess, addict, for lack of a better term, you know, he's on the only moments where we see him like stabilized or semi-normal is like post-sex or when he's, I think there was a genuine moment when Rayette was singing and he like was enjoying her music. She's like, you like it? And he's like, I love it. And I was like, wow, that was surprisingly genuine. When he and Catherine are bathing in the afterglow, he's like so happy and nice and normal and regulated. And then he just goes off the rails. But anyway, <laughs> the success of this film is the filmmakers suggesting that there is hope where there really is none and where Bobby will continue on his path of self-destruction as illustrated by the final scene. Yep. He says the same thing to Wendy in The Shining. She's like, isn't it great? And, and don't you love it here? And he's like, I love it. About the overlook. I mean, I do think that this is a counterculture <laughs> movie from start to finish. Because he, he could be the easy writer type counterculture dude who rejects society. And he does that. But he is also inexplicably a part of that society. He is the blue collar every man who speaks out against the pretentious nature and stuff. So... I, is that her name, Catherine? That You're talking about the Piani girl, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, Carl's fiance. Presum she's a fiance? Anyway, I didn't catch her name because she is the, the, all the people he rails against and it's in true form. He's just after her because she's attractive. And when she rejects him or dismisses him or they have their little spat and breakup thing, isn't Rayette in the house? For that affair? Rayette comes the day after, like when they have the, they have the morning together, that's when Rayette shows up. But when they have their little sort of heart to heart on the log or whatever, she's, Rayette's in the house and is there for no other reason than to follow up or check up on Bobby or whatever. How did they get away? I don't know. But anyway, when they break up, when she and Catherine break up, she disappears completely because she is of zero use to him. Like every other character in this movie, once we're done with them, they're out of the picture quite literally. 
And uh, when he's, boy, when he's done with Rayette, he's gone. Well, the difference is he doesn't dismiss Catherine. She, of her own volition, goes away, presumably to practice. That's her love that she won't ever leave. And Carl will suffice as a husband and... She wants to become a part of this musical family, which Bobby detests so vehemently. She leaves, whereas he, Bobby, actively leaves Rayette. Yeah, who, which is dangerous, which may be the only way you can leave Karen Black. Because when she rolled up to Seattle, I was like, oh no, she's going to kill Catherine. She's going to open her mouth and smile, and she's going to have the trilogy of terror, Zuni fetish teeth, and she's going to kill that lady. I was, I was pretty worried <laughs> for a little bit. I don't find Rayette to be dumb. I find her to be very openly herself. Like, she's not, neither smart enough or dumb enough to pretend that she's something that she's not. Rayette's very much herself. And the fact that Rayette didn't pick up on what was going on between Bobby and Catherine and throw down is kind of beyond me. So the only way I can understand it is that she was just so deeply, truly in love with this guy that she was blinded to his infidelities and his basic overall lack of commitment. Yeah, I think that commitment to the sort of airheadedness, I don't know, but I do think she was dumb. Karen Black did say that she told, you know, Bob Raffleson, okay, when you say action, I'm just going to turn my brain off. And a lot of, there was a lot of improv. It wasn't didn't stick very closely to the script and, from what I understand. But they gave, you know, the, clearly their personalities, with the possible exception of Karen Black, who shut it all down. Wow. Well, it was really effective in, in that performance. I think I must have some real abandonment issues because when he gets into that truck at that gas station, yep. I was so upset. It probably is like triggering of like Punky Brewster trauma. The dad issues or no, that's Cherry who was no, Cherry's parents were dead. We've talked about this. You <laughs> literally said the the same thing the last time I brought this up. Punky Brewster is abandoned in a in a grocery store. That's her backstory and then she goes into the orphanage and then she's adopted by Henry Wanamount, Wanacott, what's his name? Wanamount. Which was always terrifying to me, this thought that one day I would be abandoned. It was, it, it didn't surprise me. It was in keeping with, I, it was, I felt it was kind of inevitable. I thought there was some weirdness when he went into the bathroom and, and he was doing the thing where he's like self-contemplative and I thought he might kill himself or something uh, when he's looking in the mirror. But it was right on point. I guess he was considering, he knew kind of what he had to do. I didn't really see it coming, but I didn't think it was out of character. It was very The Graduate style ending where he thinks he's made a decision and, and to him that must seem like progress, but he's just headed to nowhere. He's a blue collar dude with a, a blue collar life headed off in another blue collar dude's truck to, to nowhere. He was no better off without Rayette than he was with her, except that he lost a car, which he could ill afford to lose, I'm sure. A blue collar dude with blue blood heading someplace that's going to be cold. Yeah, it's all going to be cold. But he wa he got out of the car and he went into the men's room and that truck pulled up very conspicuously, right? I was like, that's a weird placement for that truck. Had no idea what was happening at the time, what was going to happen. And Kelly Ray said, and I quote, maybe that log will roll off and squash the men's room flat and then we can be out of this movie. <laughs> 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 I, I was not feeling the emotion. I was like, something has got to happen because he sneaks off and his sister, who is sweet, but I also think there's something wrong with her. Mr. P, like she had some kind of that whole family in a Texas Chainsaw Massacre thing had 
they had issues, right? They were like on the musical verge of like genius and madness. There was something wrong with that. The whole family, right? No. But what, does she, what does she say? She's like, do you find Spicer attractive? See, exactly. The kind of person that would go after Spicer, nobody deserves. He let Spicer bone his sister. Nobody deserves Spicer. That shows his alienation and his distance from his family. Because if he would let that go on, he doesn't give a shit about his sister. Oh, he, but he doesn't. First of all, he's Spicer's just giving Tita a massage. And secondly, he that's when they get in the big old fight. And he like knocks or knocks Spicer off the bed. Yeah. Actually, Spicer puts him in a headlock and then chokes him until he submits. Oh, that's just give right. Up. Just give up. <laughs> just give up. But once he left the house and didn't say anything to anybody and is caught by his sister and it was a sweet moment, he kisses her on the forehead and then for all, still, for all intents and purposes, pieces out of her life forever. I was like, now where are we going? Oh my God, please get into a horrific auto accident. So I wasn't emotionally invested in the end. I thought it was a good ending. I thought it was on brand with everything we'd seen about Bobby so far. And so I don't think I don't think it was a bad ending, but I knew something had to happen because where the hell could we possibly be going after he escapes the family house? I really thought it was going to be like the graduate, them riding along in the car and just like not speaking to each other and him thinking about all this stuff. And then it goes to black. So what I hear you saying is Five Easy Pieces was a product of its time, the 70s, and that it may have had a certain meaning, some connection with an, an identity or a zeitgeist for the time, but that it no longer applies to 2023. Is that right? Um, It's more that I'm not sure about its efficacy as a motion picture because I feel like I'm missing something. The point, the emotional drive, identifying with these people, why he puts up with all the terrible people in this movie for so long, I missed a connection in a big way. It didn't resonate with me kind of whatsoever. And I attributed that in a way to its inability to be about, <laughs> about something. I thought each conversation, each interaction and meeting with people or women was going to be meaningful or this is going to be the one that turns his head. And it's not Bowling Alley Girl, but maybe it's Catherine and it's just not Catherine because nobody is for Bobby. He is for nowhere. And I was just uncomfortable for what was the runtime? It was like six, six and a half hours, something, right? <laughs> An an hour and thirty eight minutes. The filmmakers somehow do put us in Bobby's shoes. Like we, I feel like we see people through Bobby's eyes in this movie, and he sees or brings out the worst in people, and that's just one way to look at life. And so I get that it's unpleasant, but I think it's pretty effective. And maybe that's it. Maybe it was a subversive effect on me that I didn't realize. And I think that the hopelessness that I felt, where we all think that as part of the counterculture, we're the in the right, I just didn't like anybody. And, the, and that made me feel sad. It's just like this movie was like traveling long distances to hang out with family, which is never going to be the way you expect it. There's always going to be some drama or some like... This is more awkward than not in a Coen Brothers kind of way, just not funny. Poor Rayette had all of this misplaced loyalty. They set her up perfectly by introducing her character, listening to Stand By Your Man. It's a little bit of a metaphor for what it's like to be a family. The Dupees seem to have this idyllic 
albeit dysfunctional existence up on the Dupuy estate. They have this little musical enclave where in this room, you know, Carl's giving this lesson and Catherine's got to practice and, you know, Tita splits her time between recording in L.A. and then playing ping pong with Spicer. And anyway, and when Bobby basically turns on his music, he then experiences an alienation that he never quite recovers from. And will never kind of have another place in this world, which is why he will continue to live this rootless existence until he eventually expires. And it just bounced right off you. Yep. You know what I figure? I think Rayette, to me, feels like Thelma if she had stayed with Daryl. Mm. <laughs> and your final rating is? Uh, the best I can do is a boring. This is a daylight fading movie if ever i've seen one another counting crows movie all bobby wants to do is say goodbye to all his friends goodbye to everyone he knows and maybe it's for the best a boring really i i was like a capital b boring it might have been the agitated blonde next to me for the entirety of this movie but i also <laughs> couldn't wait for it to end it made me feel bad about myself and about life in general and i love dour dramatic movies i love the i was about to say movies. i thought you'd be all kinds of like jesse james like boner about this movie <laughs> well i'll definitely give five easy pieces a good and that's our discussion on five easy pieces from 1970 and though i disagree with wes's final rating he does have some room to talk you do have some room to talk right as co-host of this podcast you betcha or whatever movies at gmail.com, 818-835-0473. Let us know what you think about this movie. Wow, is it really 53 years on? We love to hear from you. We appreciate your support. Thank you for supporting us on Patreon. And most of all, thank you for listening here at Or Whatever Movies. We'll see you next time. Electric Acid. Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. Come with us backstage, behind the scenes of show business spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list, and everyone in between. Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your hosts for The, the Candle, Candle Power, Power Hour. Hour. Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives activities from the previous session, free from bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an electric cast production. Electric acid. Electric acid.